Welcome, brethren. Kyle D. Roban here, Act Like Men Ministries. Remember our verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We are learning how to be watchful. We're learning how to stand firm in the faith. We're learning how to act like a man. We're learning to be strong. And... How are we going to do that? Well, first metaphor. We are going to learn how to be a teacher. The only way we'll learn how to be a teacher is if we become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So stay tuned. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what do you see in these verses? Discipleship. You have someone teaching someone else something. So the definition of a disciple is learning a certain teaching or following a certain teacher. So who is our great teacher with a capital T? When we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, according to the scripture, for the glory of God, we are embarking on a lifelong discipleship program about following Christ. So let's just take a step back for a moment. Let's go back to Genesis. I'm going to just kind of summarize this for a second. God instructed Adam on things he needed to do. Adam is supposed to instruct Eve and instruct his family on following God's ways. That's discipleship. So... We disciple people in our home. Fast forward to the great salvation illustration of what happened to Israel in the land of Egypt. God saved them from their bondage, which is a picture of salvation, right? In the New Testament about what Christ has done. But let's just stay in Old Testament for now. When God saved the nation of Israel from Egypt, He sent them on their way. And what did He do? He gave them instructions on how to follow Him within the framework of what? The Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Bible. First, is Exodus chapter 20. And the next place that the commandments are found are in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So what are those ten commandments? First one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Remember, when God saved Israel out of the land of Egypt, there was whole bunch of gods that the nation of uh, Egypt worshipped but God distinguished himself as the I am who I am Yahweh so we worship Yahweh Old Testament L-O-R-D in big caps is Yahweh you know how that's translated in the New Testament Curios, same word as Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And in case you don't believe me, that Jesus Christ is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, just not in human flesh. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 3. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, all caps. 
Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Lord is our God, which was referred to in the Old Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Lord, curios. Make his path straight. The Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh the Old Testament. Commandment number 2. Deuteronomy 5 verse 8. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above. Or that is on the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Visiting the inequity of the fathers. On the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Remember, God saved Israel out of the household of slavery, which was Egypt, that had a whole bunch of idols. And it was pretty much this. People try to create a God that suits their own needs, their own desires, selfish desires. So the true idols that's in this verse is ourself. We the idol, we want to cater to our own needs. But the true God isn't formed by the hands of man. So, in other words, let's deny ourselves, seek God according to His Word, and not try to create Him to suit our selfish desires. So that's commandment number two. Commandment number three, Deuteronomy five eleven. We shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. So obviously, we don't use. God's name loosely in our conversations like you hear so many people do. They talk about God and they use some kind of crazy reference or even curse. But it does go a little deeper than that. Genesis one twenty six, God says, Let us make man in our image to be our image bearers. So God created man in a perfect state with no sin. But if you read in Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So this is Adam in his fallen state. So he's no longer bearing the full image of God. He's not an image bearer of the perfection of God. So in other words, when we not live in, in godly character living to our own sinful desires, we have importantly taken God's name in vain because we're not bearing the original image that we should be bearing. Commandment number four, starting in verse 12 in Deuteronomy 5, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you 
or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So what does that mean? Well, remember God created everything in six days and He rested. So we form that same pattern. We work six days, let's say, and then rest on the seventh. Remember that in Israel's day, they had to rely on the land so it was partly farming, cultivating. And as you go and continue to read, not only did God say work six days, rest the seventh day, the seventh day is holy unto him. Every six years, Israel was supposed to farm, cultivate, but on the seventh year, they needed to allow the land to rest. So God said, don't even plant anything in the seventh year. And by faith, you'll still have enough food that's going to sustain y'all until the following year that you're allowed to plant again. So, kind of in between the lines of this verse is not to be, this commandment is not to be self-sufficient. To understand that God is our provider. He provided freedom from the bondage of sin in Egypt. And he did it by mighty works and wonders. So it's no big deal to him to provide and sustain us. And giving us our daily bread. So let's not throw God's provisions out the window and become self-sustained and have self-security by our work ethic. That we are the ones providing for our own self. It's kind of in the context of this commandment. Commandment number 5, Deuteronomy 5.16 Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. This is a great command. We see God's continued original design for marriage. God created Adam. Then he created Eve, told him to be fruitful and multiply, have children. Adam and Eve worship, obey God. They teach their children to obey God. So that's all in the framework of honoring the father and the mother. As the father and the mother follow God's commands, the children follow suit. So, God doesn't want rebellious children because when a generation falls away, it creates a disaster. As we see in the United States today, parents aren't doing their job. So, the common generations just continue to get more and more wicked and farther away from God. Now, let me tell you what this command doesn't say. It doesn't say honor your parents. No, it says honor your father and your mother. So any family that consists of any kind of homosexuality, they live in constant sin of this commandment. Because a marriage is only a father and a mother. 
a man and a woman desire marriage, stay pure, get married, didn't have children, follow the Lord. Anything outside of that? It's attached to this commandment. The next commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 17, you shall not murder. Christ said in the New Testament that if you have hatred for someone, you committed murder in your heart. Now, do not get this mixed up with, let's say, do not kill, as in defending yourself, defending your home, self-defense of any kind. This is angry intent. Going murder someone because you hate them. That is what this commandment is talking about. Commandment number 7, Deuteronomy 5.18, You shall not commit adultery. Jesus Christ says in the New Testament that if you have lust in your heart for someone, you commit adultery in your heart. So, committing adultery starts with lustful desires for someone. And you want to fulfill your lustful desires by using another person to do so. That they satisfy your fleshful desires. But remember, we are supposed to stay pure until we get married. And if you are a man, you desire to have a marriage with a woman and vice versa. To stay pure until we are married. Then once we married, we in enjoy the intimate relationship with our spouse alone. So that we do not commit adultery. And we keep our minds focused on our spouse alone. Commandment number 8, Deuteronomy 519, you shall not steal. That's very self-explanatory. Don't take anything that don't belong to you. And commandment number 9, Deuteronomy 520, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. As in, don't lie. Anytime you don't tell the truth. It's a lie. In Deuteronomy 5.21, You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So, don't covet what is not yours. Only enjoy the things that God provided for you. So those are the commandments that God gave the nation of Israel. Now I want to give a very strict warning to anyone that might be listening. A warning and a challenge. I'm going to read Proverbs 30, verse 5, verse 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. That is very... That is a very strong command. God has sovereignly created this Bible for our instructions. And He perfectly had this book created for us. Also, 
Revelation 22. Jesus says he's coming back. And he gives a warning at the end of the book. I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Then he says, I am coming soon. He's coming soon. Not as the lamb. He's coming soon to judge. So this is my challenge. That was the warning. We, we shouldn't add or take away from this book. So my challenge is this. If you go on a church on Sunday, bring your Bible with you. Some churches don't require it. But if you go on a church, bring it with you. Second thing I want to challenge y'all to do. When y'all walking up to the front of y'all church, if there's a statue of the Ten Commandments or plaques of the Ten Commandments, open your Bible up to Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. Read those commandments, look at them, and then look at the commandments on the plaque. If you see that those commandments have been revised, I'm going to strongly encourage you all to walk out that church and never return. Because nobody has a right to revise God's word. If you see that the second commandment in the Bible, in your translation, isn't the same that's on the plaque, isn't that a big red flag? Big red flag. And what's the reason why they would take the second command out? Well, as you walk in, just look around. And that might give you a good indication of why they had to get rid of that. There might be a reason why some churches don't want people to be highly trained in the scripture. So, that's my challenge. When you come to that point... In understanding what has happened. There's the fork in the road. What are you going to do? Men are supposed to be leading their families. What you going to do? That's my challenge. So we'll continue in Deuteronomy 6. Starting in verse 1. It says. Now this is the commandment. The statue and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's a mouthful. But that is, once again, that's discipleship. Moses was being instructed by God. And he is 
instructing, instructing the nation of Israel, primarily the men, and the men are supposed to disciple their sons to where their sons disciple their sons, generation after generation. So within the home, the teacher of the house is the man. So God gives every man the ability to teach his work. Why? Because that's what we're responsible for. And if you want further clarification, go to Psalms 78, starting in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark things from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And they should not be like their father, the stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We need to... Teach our children the salvation of God and the Word of God. And by the way, with the Ten Commandments, those commands are a moral life. But we can't go around saying, oh, it's, it's not a good idea to lie. It's not a good idea to steal. Because if you don't say that God said we shouldn't steal, God said we shouldn't lie, God said we shouldn't murder, then you're just trying to be a moral human being. But if you say that God is the one that said that, that means there's a future judgment. And that's where Christ comes into play. The Ten Commandments just shows us that we sinners, we can't keep those commands once again for salvation. We just look at it as this. Every time our consciousness lets us know we're doing wrong, it's within the framework of the Ten Commandments. Don't think for one second that the Ten Commandments was something new. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4. Back to creation. You see that Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel was going to present an offering to God. And Abel presented an offering from his flock. And Cain presented an offering based on his uh, fruit of the ground. So it says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell because God didn't like his offering. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. His desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him or murdered him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, Why? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which 
has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So, Cain in 13 says, My punishment is greater than I can bear. What do we see here? Do we see Cain saying, God, you never told me I couldn't murder. Look all the emotions and stuff that was going on in his life. You don't think that his consciousness was bothering him. God was warning him not to do what he was about to do. Conscience. It was there. It's there from creation. So how do we know God's real? Our conscience bears witness to the commandments. So, prove that God exists. Our conscience bears witness to the law that we break. Now we'll jump back into the New Testament. How did Christ teach his disciples? We'll see that there are four stages in the Gospels of how Christ trained the disciples so remember this that Christ had a ministry of about three years the first year and a half he was going places teaching and everyone followed and you'll see that disciples were among those but in the latter half of his ministry he primarily focused on the disciples, 12 in particular, 11 true, one false, that he allowed to be a part of the group. But the point of the matter is there came a point where Christ focused on training those disciples and that made a huge impact you'll see in the latter half of the ministry so that they were well equipped for when Christ was ready to establish his church through them so we'll kind of glance over the first initial calling of the disciples and it's found in John chapter 1 35 to 51. Now, you want to take the time to read it? Y'all can. But it's basically this. John was discipling people, getting them prepared for the coming Lord. And John, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And as the disciples were following, they were understanding that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Because in 41, it speaks of this, we have found the Messiah. And read further, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So to the Jew, to understand who Christ was, and to want to follow him, they were submitting to who Christ was. So that's salvation. We submit to Christ as Lord, as they understood. That's salvation. Now the second stage is found in Luke chapter 5, verse, verses 1 to 11. At this point in time, they were still doing their day jobs, which is reason why you'll see that they were finishing up their fishing trip then Jesus Christ asked to use their boat and he says matter of fact if you don't mind go ahead and throw your nets out right there so Peter as the skilled fisherman that he was said 
okay. <laughs> Doubt we catch anything, but you know what? I am going to be obedient to what you say. So they ended up catching so much fish in their nets that the boats were about to sink. And Simon says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But Christ says this, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So at this point now, they are following Christ full time. Full time discipleship from this point on. So that is stage number two. The third stage in their discipleship program is found in Matthew chapter 10, the majority of the chapter. I'll just read the first couple verses. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are, are these, and he names them. And the black sheep, Judas Iscariot, is still tagging along. But just notice that he started calling them apostles, the sent out ones, because he's sending them out. He's not going with them. And he's giving them the authority that he has in regards to casting out demons, healing diseases, things of that nature, to let the people know that they're being sent out by Christ. So this is apostolic signs and wonders that he specifically gave the apostles. So, so that is the third stage. The fourth stage of their discipleship program is in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. After the resurrection, Christ is fixing to go back to heaven. So he commissions them to do this. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Christ is telling the eleven, Judas is no longer with them because he hung himself, to go and make disciples, teach them all that Christ has commanded them to do and just follow the book of Acts and you'll see how the church got started I'll give you just one passage about the results of Christ's discipleship program and how Christ trained the disciples they became apostles equipped them with the Holy Spirit to go and do what he commanded them to do it's Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So there is hope for people like us that live in Bayou Portage, Butler Rose, Prairie to Farm, Prairie Wrong, Hennison, Bro Bridge, Cecilia, Grand Aunts. There is hope. Because just like with the apostles, God has the same purpose. He saves us and He is going to equip us as inadequate as we think we are. Because let me give this encouraging promise Philippians 1 verse 6 I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Why? Because Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work His good pleasure. We can be fruitful workmen, laborers in the kingdom of God. We just have to be discipled. Furthermore, I'm going to give five problems that Christ dealt with in regards to the training of the disciples. Once again, I, I just want us to understand how common these men were. How they were just like us. And Christ can transform us into the same fruitful laborers as the apostles. We can't take the place of the apostolic positions that Christ gave them. But I'm talking about here today, in the now, how Christ can equip us to be fruitful. One of the problems that the disciples had is in Luke 24, 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Christ spent all this time with them, talking with them about things in the Old Testament. And they just couldn't understand spiritual things. They were very slow in comprehension. Another problem they had was pride. Luke 9, 46. An argument arose them as to which of them was the greatest. Another issue they had was their faith. It was very little, very weak. Mark 4, verse 40, Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Another issue they had was their commitment. They had a lack of commitment. In Mark 14, verse 50, it says they all left him and fled at the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Another issue was they were weak-minded. Luke twenty-two forty-six. Jesus asks, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter in temptation. I hope that's encouraging to whoever feels inadequate because I sure did. I hated reading. When I got saved, I just sacrifice some time energy to be discipled once again i'm gonna say this there's a navigators 2-7 class that is highly beneficial if anybody wants to know more about it just get in touch with me but that's the first steps into understanding how to be a godly leader a godly teacher in the home we need to be discipled another thing we need to do to be a successful teacher in our home is to actually meditate on god's word in order to be competent in it joshua 1 8 this book of law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So that is one of plenty of verses that talk about meditating on God's Word. Now this is crucial in the success of a Bible teacher. This is God's Word. So who do we need to rely on? 2 Timothy 2.7, back to our passage. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. When we humbly come to Christ in prayer, He will give us understanding. John 15.7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. So, we dependently pray that the Lord opens our mind according to the scripture, that we bear much fruit. Once we are properly trained in discipleship, and we daily meditate on God's word, we humbly come to Him in prayer for Him to open up the scriptures to us, we are going to become successful teachers and have the ability to identify and refute false doctrine. We want to be like Apollos in um, Acts 18, verse 28. It says, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. That is a statement. Let's understand what deception is. If someone's deceived, they don't know it. That's what's so dangerous about deception. For instance, you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. People don't know they're going to hell. That's the dangers of it. Because the devil blinds the minds of people. So, Scripture enlightens the mind that has been deceived. So, we want to be like Apollos to our family. Because, look, especially if you have kids in the public school, I pray for you. Because what the kids are learning in school is horrible for any godly mind. We need to be able to refute the false, idealistic mindset of this world. We have to do that as the men of our family... Guarding them, protecting them, making sure their mind stays on the right paths. Now, what are some of the things we should be equipped in teaching our household from believing the lies of the world? First off is creation. First 11 chapters in Genesis are foundational for our understanding of the past, how everything was created, why the world looks the way it does today, where do we get all these cultures from. We need to be highly familiar with the first 11 chapters in Genesis. God created everything in six days. He rested on the seventh. There's a genealogy record from Adam to Christ. And then from Christ to us today, we'll give you the correct timeline of how old this planet is. Two, why does the world look like this? Because there was a worldwide flood. So the earth has been in a catastrophe. What about different races? We're one race. The human race. The only difference between me and somebody that's got darker skin than me is called melanin. But we're all sinners that need salvation. What about our specific roles as a man and a woman? If you are born a biological man, you will be held accountable as a biological man. And you will be accountable as a biological female what about the literal birth death burial and physical resurrection of god in the flesh which is jesus christ have we got the gospel right and what about god's word are you teaching that god's word is infallible and that the word of god that you have in your house is god's word 
those are some of the major things we need to be able to defend and equip our households for. Now, there's five pillars of the Christian life. And it's scripture alone as the Christian's authority. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 and 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by God. It's infallible. That is the authoritative source to what we go to to make decisions in our Christian life. Number two, we saved by faith alone. Salvation by faith alone apart from works. Hebrews 11.1 1. Hebrews 11.6, Romans 4, 1 to 3, Romans 4, 20 and 21. We are saved by faith alone, apart from works. Number three, grace alone. We are saved because of God's grace. Romans 3.24, Romans 5.15, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We are saved by Christ alone. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection makes us right with God. He paid our sin debt because He lived a sinless life to pay the penalty for our sins. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, Romans 10.9.10. 10, and He's our only mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. And everything we do in this Christian life is for the glory of God. God's glory alone. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Colossians 3.17 and 1 Peter 4.11 That's chain linked together. All five of those understandings of the Christian life. I want to close with this. A father teaches his children regardless of his presence or absence in their lives. It's the father effect is the biggest pandemic the world faces. I'm just going to give you one study from the National Center of Fathering. But you can go look at these studies everywhere. It's the same. More than 20 million children live in a home without the physical presence of a father. Millions more have dads that are physically present but emotionally absent. If it were classified as a disease, fatherlessness would be an epidemic worthy of attention as a national emergency. The father wound impacts four critical areas of our lives. Our physical health, our emotional health, our relationship health, our social and political health. The effects of growing up without a loving, engaged father ripple through the generations and contribute to many of the most serious problems we face in our society today including drug and alcohol abuse, depression and suicide, teen, teen pregnancy, sexual addiction, poverty, divorce, crime, broken marriages. That is all the effects of a father. Go ask all the people in jail where their fathers are if you don't believe this study. I'm going to leave you all with this. I'm going to go over four types of men that are in the Bible, that leave a certain legacy behind. And the first one is in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now it's very interesting, kind of go back to the original of what the turn aside friends sit down here means. It's kind of the equivalent today as in, oh, look so-and-so. Or, uh, oh, look what's his face. So one of those people you know in your life that they have no responsibilities whatsoever. Their life is completely for themselves they have no regards to taking care of their children whatsoever this is the same type of 
deadbeat dad we'd call today. Only interested in self-interest, don't want no responsibilities whatsoever. Just wants to take care of self. There's a couple guys that's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Demas, in love with this present world, he deserted Paul. You have, in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. I hope we don't know anybody that's in complete opposition of the work of God. Because they're only going to create further wickedness to the common generations. So, I do hope you take into consideration about getting right with God and being on God's side. We don't want to be a worker of evil. Now you have, let's just take for instance in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. It says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, if you read the whole book of Corinthians, you'll see that these people were saved, but they were carnal. We don't want to be a man that is calling upon the name of the Lord, but yet or carnal in nature. We want to be like the people that are in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint about the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick among from you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we'll, we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas. This is where we want to strive. We want to be people of good reputation in the Christian realm. Now, the gold standard is in Acts 19 verse 15 where these evil spirits told this guy Jesus I know and Paul I recognize but who are you when you have evil spirits knowing who Jesus and Paul was you know they're making an impact so what kind of legacy we want to live we at least need to be teachers of our own home in regards to pointing our family to Christ. Psalms 34, 11. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Let's do that, men. Let's learn how to teach our children, our family, how to be followers of the Lord. And I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us hope even though we inadequate and we may not feel like we can accomplish these things that's what grace and faith is all about so please encourage us and help us amongst the brethren to be more christ-like and be strong in the lord and competent in your word in the name of jesus christ amen I hope that was encouraging.
And I hope that if it is encouraging that you share it with someone, help equip them. If they, a man, and they looking for direction and purpose for their family, I'm going to continue to go through the series of the metaphors found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The next episode will be going over how to become a successful soldier of the Lord. So until next time, my friends, engage in the kingdom.